37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to episode 129 of Pixelated Paranormal. Something stirring in Kentucky, and it ain't just the goblins, because we're going to talk about Hell Your Season 2, and with that, we have a special guest host. Special guest host? I was here before you, Yeah, kind of. Bitch, you left, and your seat's gone cold. <laughs> yeah. Ingrid Cold. Yeah. Oh! Ooh. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's me... It's me, it's me. That's right, Rob's back. It's me all along. Yeah, I love the little picture you posted for this stinger for this episode with me with the Bigfoot statue in Shawnee Forest. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty rad. I Nikki like sent it to me. She's like, huh, I wonder who took this picture. <laughs> Sad trombone. But is he, is he really a special guest host, though, or is it like Steve more like the dollar store version of Rob? Well, wow, that's rude. <laughs> no, I mean, it's always special when Rob comes back on. I mean, you know, Steve is our Steve is our third chair, and uh, you know, I'm happy to have Rob back when Rob wants to come back. Except yeah. for episode, just 100. like Kim Kardashian, except for he doesn't actually have come on his back. Oh, jeez, <laughs> <Both> crowd, <laughs> right? Yeah, things get saucy when you're not around, Rob. <laughs> We've gone feral. But yeah, you're back, and we want to kind of uh, cuss and discuss Hellier Season 2 uh, with you, because you, sir, are in the heartland of all of the... Uh, yeah, right here on the... Th- the weirdness that goes right on. Right here on the 37th parallel, three hours away from some places we're talking about, one hour away from the goblins themselves, and, as I've told people before, this is this is it for me. This was This is what brought me into the game of Paranormal at the sweet young age, like seven or eight, Sitting on the couch watching the USA Networks um, and them talking about aliens for the first time. And I looked at my grandma and I was like, uh, she's like, if you ever see them, don't you go near them. And I'm like, what? And she's like, because they're bad and you don't, you need to stay away from them. And I was like, I, what? So after that, I was like, <laughs> well, what are these things? And going to the library and checking out books on the subject and blew my little mind, man. Uh, I bet. And I mean, imagine like grandmothers are pretty sacred. And when your grandma's telling you not to go near aliens, you got to take a little bit of that, you know, a little bit of a grain of truth with that statement because it's your grandma, man. Why would she lie well, to you? Well, she wasn't lying because she actually knew the family that this all happened to. And uh, mm-hmm. apparently I didn't I didn't realize this when I read the listen to Carney, uh, uh, Hellier, but the family were Carnies. And that made a lot more sense of why my parents, my grandparents would have known them. Because uh, they they were kind of into moonshine and stuff like that, so I don't I don't know if that's where they knew them at, but the, yeah, apparently the family was carnies. So for some reason, that's just like triggered something wow. something mental in my in my memorization of my family, and I don't exactly know what it is, but I know there's some kind of connection to carnies in my family. Um, so I was like, oh huh. oh man, Hellier season two, y'all. Uh, Man, so it started out with just this the midnight children talking about the Hopkinsville Kelly Goblin case, which we've been speaking about. And uh, you know, that's what got us all interested in this. And then we've all went down this rabbit hole. And the big thing about season two of Hellier and the overarching uh plot of it is 
I feel like it can be said that everybody that listens to this is a part of this. And then we all have synchronicities that are attached to right. it. And f- fair bit of warning. If you don't want to be brought into this phenomenon, you may not want to listen because it's it spreads. I mean, it's seriously, <laughs> you will start picking up on the synchronicities of everything else too. Because me and Sean have just been like, ever since season two started, we were like sending synchronicities to each other about things that we, um, we've heard and, and stuff like that. So be forewarned. This could pull you into the paranormal in a way that you're not expecting. Um, and honestly, I would love to hear your stories. Uh, send them to the podcast or whatever, because if there's any synchronicities out there, it's all part of this thing, this phenomenon. And, um, but so what do you got to say about this, Sean? Well, I mean, I've said it before, you know, in different avenues and different websites and stuff like that. To me, if you step back and you look at Hellier, first of all, I think personally it is maybe the single most important recent paranormal discovery or, you know, outing that we've had, um, I mean, next to Roswell in a way. It's almost like a modern-day Roswell with how earth-shattering and, you know, groundbreaking what they're discovering or what they're possibly waking up actually is. It's just, it's really bizarre how it all unravels. And, uh, you know, uh, the skeptic in me also has to turn around and, and look at this as like, okay, when you are hopeful and you want nothing more than to be slapped in the face by a Bigfoot, a ghost, an alien, whatever, when you go looking for this stuff, it's very easy to find similarities and coincidences because you're wanting it. But what's interesting about Hellier to me is, you know, in the beginning, it was just about a group of friends making a short documentary about some kook that sent in, you know, a story about some little green men that were living in a a cave on his property. And it's always been about so much more than little goblins, you know, little green men. It's such a vast, huge, you know, almost uh, enveloping sensation more than it is just a story about little goblins. And I mean, it's a pretty creative way for us all to get enveloped in it ourselves because like you said, you love the Kentucky goblins. It's right there. It's got a personal, you know, attachment to you and your family. And then it's one of my favorite stories I ever read growing up. I've got that book. uh, Where is it at here? Randall's and Hughes world's best true UFO stories I picked up in like Branson or whatever. And that was the story that stood out to me the most because it's not little gray aliens. It's not little reptiles. It's freaking goblins, little pointy eared, you know, green eyed creeps just scuttling around a house. And I mean, it is a very unique story. So it's not hard to say that, yeah, anybody that reads it, it's going to stick out, but it's a fun coincidence that you and I shared, you know, when we first started talking about paranormal to begin with, that was one of our two, you know, kind of go-to stories of like, hey, did you ever hear right. about this? And then Preston, like, Presto, were you ever uh, exposed to that story before, you know, we all started talking about yeah, this? Yeah, and, you know, that that's what I was going to bring up. Um, you know, all the stuff that I read in the past, so before Hellier and even before we started discussing it, like, I always got the impression that, yes, this was a extraterrestrial phenomenon. So I always kind of associated it with aliens. But then, you know, when you start season one of Hellier, the first couple episodes, like, you're like, okay, this is, we're dealing with aliens. But now, after the end of season one, everything that went down through season two, 
Um, it's really changed my opinion that I don't think this is an extraterrestrial phenomenon, but I think it, it, it's diving down that rabbit hole that has to deal with, you know, uh, occult practices, you know, um, trickster spirits and things like that. So it's now that I've gone deeper in, in this phenomenon, um, this story, like I'm moving away from aliens and now I'm more about like this trickster element and, um, just kind of the occult side of it. Yeah, it's right. It's it's Gosh. just it's almost like everything in this uh, paranormal aspect is just all included in this and like a hodgepodge of mess. And honestly, like Preston was saying, it's the perfect thing for a trickster demon or not a demon, but a trickster entity or spirit to um, to envelop because it makes it easy to you can do anything with this. And they even talked about this in, in an episode I was watching of the show like today or whatever, where it's like. Uh, that the story, it's almost like the, the, the things that they talk about and bring up can be changed by context alone, but either way you read in it, read into it, uh, like the Amy emails that we'll get into a little bit. Um, you know, she's talking about green men. Well, they were investigating, uh, they were investigating green man as in the pagan spirit, the green man. But, the green man, but yeah. when later on, when she's talking to them about it from prison, because there's a lot that goes on, um, <laughs> right. she brings up the fact that no, they worship the green men, and she was talking about goblin creatures and caves. Right, right. And we'll get into that. So it's like, and they're just like, well, it's like the it's like the phenomenon shifts to whatever it needs to be to still get its point across, and I find that so fascinating because it's because there's not much difference in in the term green man to little green man. But the context in which it's used makes everything different, but yet it doesn't matter because it's all wrapped into the same phenomenon. So um, we should get into this. Oh, yeah. Let's just and, get after uh, it. Yeah. The first episode, uh, they kind of delve into the, uh, the whole uh, recap of what had happened and the most important things to look into, like who was Terry Wrist, which is who they got the email from originally, um, and trying to find him. Also, Ingrid Cold, which was an entity that was brought up um, back in season one a little bit, uh, and he was supposedly a alien who came to Earth, and Terry Wrist knew him, and also he met this family called the... Uh, the Derenbergers? Derenbergers. And they both met him, and to each one, there was a, a different... Um, there was a, a different type of man to each of them. Like Terry's Indrid was, I think it's Indrid, not Ingrid. Yeah. Indrid was kind of not as benevolent, but the Derenbergers Indrid was. And even that's even brought up later in one of the Estes methods when Tyler says they're one and the same. Right, right. So uh, there's just, oh, there's so much to unpack. But... <laughs> Somehow or another, they did another Estes method in the first episode, and the Estes method and the God helmet basically. I think they this this was the Estes, Estes method they yeah. did. You put the helmet on and you listen to the static between radio stations to try to pick up words. Yeah, um, it's kind of hard to complicated, but you can look it up. Uh, it's definitely something that's been used in the paranormal area. I would love to get a hold of one of these things and try some of this stuff. But they've got a but an authentic right. one because they were they were saying that like so somehow 
Greg and Dana Newkirk have like one of the original ones that was made, but then like you can go on eBay right. and find like these dollar store version knockoffs, but the way that they use magnetism, like you can actually cause damage to your brain. <laughs> right. So like well, all these paranormal the researchers helmet. out there. That's the God helmet. The SS yeah. method's a little different. SS method, you basically is a radio that kind of tunes like frequencies really fast. Um, I've heard of these things before. And the SS method basically is you're deafened and blinded uh, while you listen. And basically people ask questions to the outer universe, the ultra terrestrials, whatever. And depending on what that radio station picks up, you just say what you hear. And a lot of times they're asking questions that the person can't hear or can't see supposedly. Now, Mm -hmm. granted, People could say, oh, it's all fake. You know, he's actually getting the stuff in. But if, you, if you're going to go that far, I mean, there's no point in watching this because you're obviously too skeptical to believe anything that happens. Right. It's, it's so, best to go into this with a fairly open mind of, okay, let's just see where this story takes us. Because like you said, it's, it's easy to sit back and, and look at this as, okay, this is season two. We have to sell a second season of a TV show and make it very action-packed and lots of drama and lots of, you know, suspense. That can all be done by honest, truthful, you know, filming and clever editing. So I I go into it thinking, I want to believe, so, you know, just wow me. You know, like the detective says on Night of the Creeps, okay, wow me, thrill me, you know. And so I want to believe it with the best of my ability to be real, and it... It seems like it'd be, I mean, you could fake it easily, but, you know, Preston and I, we've messed around with those spirit boxes where it's pretty much the same thing, a broken radio cycling through, you know, multiple channels and you're just picking up blips and blurbs and words. The fact that it's goes, the fact that it's going on in somebody's helmet and they're not able to hear the outside world and the fact that on this, you know, show, all the questions really sync up with the answers. It's pretty convincing if you want to, you know, go into the tinfoil hat side of things. Right. Um, so so they kind of get, they ask the Estes method, and it's telling them to speak to Connor, and uh, and what they were picking up originally with that, that meant Connor Cold, which is, uh, was one of Indrid Cold's sons. Right, because he's long gone, supposedly, and dead, and now uh, Woody Derenberger's... Uh, daughter is still being visited by the family, correct? Right. Well, this is that all happens in a second. This is what just this here is just typically oh, just, in the Estes okay. method. The Estes method was telling them they need to speak to Connor Colt. And they thought when they said you need to speak to Connor, they thought Connor, the guy that's actually doing the show with them, is who they need to speak to. But then they realized, oh, yeah, yeah, different. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so uh, they basically he mentions a UFO flap and compass during the Estes method. And that leads them to Stillwater, Minnesota and the Stillwater Bridge. And they go to this town to see if they can find anything. And what they learn is that this 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 town has a striking amount of similarities between Point Pleasant and the uh, the John Keel uh, Mothman prophecy. Mm-hmm. And they even find a metal butterfly in the city, like just sit on the, on the sidewalk. So it's like even more synchronicities. Right. Pretty big coincidence, if you want to right. believe. It's just sheer coincidence. Pretty odd. Yeah. Um, uh, and this was the, uh, was this the town where they had made the comment, like one of the guys they were interviewing has said, like the amount of mental cases, like no, people that's, with. No, that's, that's uh, another place. That's Ashland. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so they're just kind of looking around because they figured that there was something here that they needed to, to look into. And 
again, they kind of came to a dead end here. Mm-hmm. But the sim, but it was weird because the similarities were were quite fantastic. And what I did find out is they were they did a interview with the man years ago that had met Indrid Cold, and oh. and they had that on they had it on the episode. They not not them, but the radio a radio station had uh, Darren Berger. Oh on. yeah 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 uh huh. And and uh, what a lot of people I don't know I've never heard it mentioned before, but the call sign for the radio station was K E Y L, Heel. <laughs> How fucking odd is that? I did catch that. Now that you say that, I remember that. I've only watched you know season two one time, and that was the weekend it came out. We binged it and killed it, and you know over that course of that weekend on Black Friday. But yeah, I do remember that, and that's what I told Shayla too. I was like, this is bizarre. Like that's called Keel. So they end up, uh, that's the end, kind of like the end of the first episode. They they touch on some things that they hit on later, but I didn't like the way they did that because it's, they made it seem like, oh, here's this email, and oh, Tyler's going to these coordinates from the first show again. And mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, there's a helicopter. Like he, it, it, it was very weird, and it was like one of the things like, okay, mm-hmm. all right, you done got me into the show. You don't have to foreshadow all this stuff. And make it seem more important than it really is, you know. Right. So I didn't appreciate that. I felt like they led us by the hand a little too much there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and we also, I mean, you're you're wanting people to come back and revisit this, and I mean, it is kind of hard to reveal that it's not about little goblins in the first season, and then make you want to come back. So yeah. I mean, that kind of is a, an interesting, you know, way to get you into it. But now, was that the same season? I mean, was that the same episode? That he explains, Tyler explains that he was trying to leave that area and got stopped by those, you know. Yeah, well, officers. that's not the same episode. That's okay. what happens later. So the second episode deals into them going and meeting Tanya, uh, Darren Burrow, um, and she tells them that yeah, Ingrid had died and her sons, or his sons, had come to visit her, and they did this often. Now she made it sound like they're friends, but the kind of the way she talked is like she didn't see. Indrid very much, but the kids did come see her on days like Mother's Day and stuff like that. And I find it odd. She's in a, some kind of nursing home. I don't know if it's because she's disabled. Well, she's in a wheelchair and stuff, so I don't know if she's disabled. And poor woman, I don't know. Um, but I don't know if she's making all this up. And I mean, sure, if if you're left to your own devices and you're in this kind of you know rehab center as a young, you know, she's not very old. She wasn't old enough to be in a retirement mm-hmm. home, so to speak. You know, maybe you do sensationalize some of that stuff because you just want to ride the the coattails of your father. You know, you got to kind of look right. at that. And I think even they were a little kind of skeptical about her story as well. So, I mean, yeah. I think they kind of share a little bit of that skepticism. But again, when you're researching this, you kind of got to go on all your leads and then just take from what happens, you know, take what you want from it. Right. So... Um, they, she said that, you know, they would come visit her and she said it would be a weird sight at night if the orderlies, there aren't that many orderlies around, but she said it would be weird if they showed up in the middle of the night and the, these two people here. So I was like, are they just sneaking in? Are they teleporting in? She never explains it. Yeah. So astral projection. It, what? Yeah. You know, so, but you know, she goes through some things and said that they, that, uh, Ingrid had, Ingrid had died in a crash with him, with Connor and Cotter, Connor, or no, no, his other two, his two crewmates, not his sons. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they said that they, she said, do you think, you know, do you think that they're still alive? And she goes, they could be, but 
it could be a way for them to go away. Um, they like to hide in the Appalachian Mountains. Um, and, you know, they said it's that a lot of times they hide in those kind of places. And it's almost like it, when they do, it's like a beacon for high strangeness stuff to right. happen. That's why we see lights <clears throat> there and other things. But we get another idea about what's causing those lights and stuff, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. In a later episode, when we get to uh, Somerset, that has to deal with Sedona, Arizona, Southern Alaska, and Ashland, or Somerset, Kentucky. Right. Um, and, and court deposits, which I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so episode two, they kind of just talk to that family and stuff. But they start reading into those emails that they got from uh, Terry Rist originally. And the way, the strange wording and stuff uh, in that. Right. But also reading about the cipher that he left behind and uh for uh or in his book he left behind when he talked to alan greenfield and the way he used words and stuff he gave a description of the town especially something called the wagon wheel which was a restaurant (laughs) right right and like uh he almost gave direct directions how to get to indred cole's house and so they went to ashland kentucky they found they found by these these terms and stuff, and I didn't write them all down because they were going through them pretty fast. But they found this town named Ashland, Kentucky, and again, it had a. They felt like they were in the right spot. They investigated um, the area and they pinpointed down that the Wagon Wheel Restaurant, where it was at, and where they think the houses were, but they were torn down where the apartments were. But apparently, Terry Rist had actually uh, came to Ashland and used the directions that from the cipher and walked and knocked immediately on injured cold's door. And he was, he was known to be coming. Right. Um, right. Right. So, you know, and that's kind of how this episode ends up, but it, it just, it was very interesting about, uh, uh, you know, Ashland, Kentucky being a part of this and the, the wagon wheels address was one, two, three, uh, I can't remember what street it was, but as soon as they said that again, after watching later episodes, there's the bing, bing, bing sound effect. <laughs> yeah. And it was like that popped in my head. Bing, bing, bing. One, two, three. You yeah. know, I was like, holy shit. You know, it's all again, just certain things get picked up here. Is there anything about anybody else want to cut in on anything right here before we go on? No, I think you kind of, you hit the nail on the head there so far, you know, so far it's kind of a slow buildup and they kind of explain how, you know, Season one was what, five episodes, six episodes? Yeah, it was six episodes. I think. So, you know, to us, this is season two. It's, you know, a year down the road, but they, you know, pretty well explain that season two technically like picks up right after season one just premiered. And that's what, you know, not a lot well, of people take into consideration. Literally, while they were alive on air getting ready to show off season one. They get it. They're doing this the their Patreon live show or whatever right before it goes live, and they get a ding on the email. And he looks down and he says, "Urgent, life and death yeah. matters." In the email, and it's the Amy emails. It's that we will the talk yeah, about. the Amy girl will get to yeah. So that's what's kind of cool too is the fact that I mean it's got to be so just disheartening and enraging that like okay guys project's done let's press it let's keep going and then boom no you're not done <laughs> like it never stopped it never slowed down and they didn't they kind of allude to that at the ending of season one like they like they have kind of like the email 
notification go off. Oh, yeah, they did, didn't they? And that they? was That's kind right. of a cliffhanger to make you think, like, oh, shit, there's more to it. So, yeah, season, uh, you know, episode one and two of season two are kind of also just a refresher of, like, yeah, so here's, <laughs> uh, what would you say, like, uh, previously, or, or here's what you've missed, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So that was pretty neat. But, yeah, so we're, we're kind of getting into the thick of it now with uh, episode three. Yeah, so episode three, which I think is also a unique uh synchronicity for the three of us you know we're all part of this now uh doing this podcast and stuff and and giving this out but episode three is called borderlands <laughs> when that flashed up on the screen i thought wow that what a what a fun coincidence because i mean the three of us played borderlands three together and then i've always said like years ago when borderlands 2 had dropped it is one of the most unique and unforgettable video game experiences that I've ever had is, is playing that game with you from start to finish, just mm-hmm. how much we put into it. So that, that word, Borderlands, it, you know, is very significant for us. Mm-hmm. And then, you so, know. And also, episode three, Borderlands three, we all three played it together. The that, threes, that the synchronicities, threes, the numerologies, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, and numbers numbers uh, come into play later on in the, in the show yeah, as well. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. That's the only episode I didn't watch was the last episode because yeah. honestly, it's uh, we'll get to it. You but, didn't want to get disenchanted at that point. No, I wasn't going to be disenchanted because I knew what was coming. Okay, but, gotcha. And in a lot of ways, I didn't like how this ends, but at the same time, again, I liked how it ends because it's not staged. Mm-hmm. If this was staged, something important would have happened in the last episode. That's what right. that's what makes me so angry about all these ghost shows on TV. It's like they got to plant some kind of bullshit in them. Oh, the chair moved or oh my god, did you hear that sound? They do have these issues, but in the last episode, it's such a a petered out moment that yeah. you're kind of like well, if they were going to build this up, they failed in a way, but again, they made it look more legit because they failed. Right. The overall feeling at the end of, uh, you know, season two is keep looking up at the skies, you know, kind of a real nice somewhat wrap up. But well, and also Newkirk, Greg Newkirk came out and said after the end of season one, if you thought we were going to walk out of that cave carrying an alien gray body, then you already didn't know what this was about. Right, right. So again, it's too easy to fake this stuff, and by not faking it, it seems more legitimate. Yeah, um, fully agree. So they talk about Borderlands. This episode kind of goes into the... They go into the God Helmet and the domes of Point Pleasant. Now, the domes is the old TNT factory uh, in Point Pleasant where the Mothman was said to have hung out back in 67 um, before the bridge collapsed, and they said he was a harbinger of the bridge collapse. He was trying to warn people, mm-hmm. uh, whatever the Mothman was, but they went and did the God helmet. And so basically what the God helmet is, is one person puts this thing on their head and it does this electromagnetic forces that kind of affect each hemisphere of the brain. So it pumps electromagnetism in your head at different times. And they're said, the reason they call it the God helmet is because they said that it's supposed to be able to invoke the feeling of talking to a deity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Dana puts it on and they ask, she can hear what they're asking. So basically she's supposed to be thinking about what they're asking and Connor in the Estes method is supposed to be answering it. So, Oh, right, right. So he can't see or hear anything that she's saying, but she, they can talk to Dana, but she's supposed to be trying to focus 
the power of this with her mind so that it that it's asking the questions and, and to this person. However, about halfway through the video, they couldn't get everything lined up, and suddenly they tell Dana to start asking the questions, mm-hmm. and uh, immediately the Connor starts answering her, and she says she's he's trying to put words, and he's like, "We don't speak in words; we speak in in feelings and colors and and stuff like that." So it's right. hard for me to put this into words, and so he's trying to explain this, and so she's getting it. And, you know, he says stuff like, speaking in colors, you seem pale. And, you know, and she's like, well, I like how you, you know, I like your language. And he says, where do we need to go to next? He says, schoolyard, autumn falls, out of state, something about a horse. And right before they end it, you know, he says, uh, she takes the helmet off. And as soon as she takes her helmet off, he suddenly says, everything seems faint now. So as soon as she takes the helmet off and is no longer having that experience, Mm -hmm. the forces that were talking to him, fade away yeah that frequency no kind of dies she, out yeah he had no idea that she uh she had took the helmet off because mm-hmm. they're sitting back to back you know unless you know she felt he felt vibrations of her chair scratching his him taking the helmet off or whatever but that their database is code information so they can show you things and you can see pictures of it now why i find this absolutely fascinating is when we went to uh the mall of america we all listened to the Jim Sparks God, uh, interview yeah. on Coast to Coast. And one thing that he talked about when these aliens that he called the messengers came to him, they would take him at night and they take him to a ship. And in the ship, they would keep showing them symbols and they would make him stare at them. And he was going crazy because he's like, I don't understand what you're wanting me to do here. I don't understand it. But eventually he learned that when you looked at these symbols, they weren't just letters or they were, they were conveyed so much information in one picture that it took, it, it, it's so hard to explain, but in this, it made me think of that because like they're literally saying they can't speak our language because it's so simplified, but they can, the way they promote their own voice or whatever is through seeing things or feeling things. And so that made me think of the Jim Sparks experience where it's just like, Oh, they're talking in code. That's why they have a hard time doing that with us. It's because they're talking in symbols. Mm-hmm. And these symbols mean hundreds of different words to them that can convey every kind of what you want out of this. It, it, I, you know what? It's almost got to be like one of those codes that you get to see now with your camera where you take a picture oh. of something and it can take you to a website and everything. And they're all unique codes and they're all different. Kind of like a QR type code situation. Yes. yes. So... So Rob, when you you brought up earlier that uh, when they were doing the Godhead um, mm-hmm. experiment, that you know he was saying that uh, or relating that the language was different, like they're using like you know emotions mm-hmm. and colors and thing like that. Well, there's always been like in the uh, occult, um, they call it no, they call it the language of the birds. Right. So there's this lost language in the occult that we've lost over time, almost like the the language of the angels uh, where we were communicated with by these entities and the way that they they spoke to us, they they basically, because like an animal can't speak, but they would use like emotions and like imagery to communicate with us. And that's why they call it the the language of the birds that whatever is communicating might be this. Oh, yeah, there you go. They paint with all the colors of the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what's interesting is you talk about, you bring up the fact of them, you know, communicating with feelings and color. 
And this is a sidebar real quick. I'm not trying to throw myself into the crux of this and be like, I am a part of this. But like I mentioned in the last episode we recorded talking about the float tanks and, you know, this mental tripping you can do with meditation, that is one of the things you see a lot of too are these um, meditation lights and these bursts of colors and these flares and stuff. Mm -hmm. And what's unique to me is when they say they talk in colors, it really strikes home because like I've mentioned, and you guys know this, and I've, I've been more and more open about it, being colorblind and, and Preston as well. When I when I get to that mental space of, you know, just super relaxed and, and meditative, it's hard to explain it without sounding like I'm just making shit up, but I legitimately am mm -hmm. able to see these meditation lights and these swirling colors, and they represent colors that I don't understand because I don't know what a full color spectrum looks like in the real world. Mm -hmm. Right. But, it's kind of like when I, when I see red normally, like I see it as like a muddy brown, like I don't see it as bright as somebody who's mm -hmm. not colorblind. But then when I practice meditation and I see those lights, like all of a sudden, like that, that light that flashes in the back of my mind, I'm like, holy shit, that must be red because it's so vibrant and so deep. It's, you know, it's a color that I normally mm -hmm. don't see. And so rudimentary to the thinking about, you know, somebody who doesn't know what every color is to show them a color they don't understand. It, invo it invokes this really overwhelming, almost sensory overload feeling of like, oh my God, what is is that and it conveys a message to me and it's euphoria and it's shock and it's awe and if you don't believe me just look at every single video of every middle-aged man putting on a pair of enchroma you know colorblind uh, enhancing glasses and you see people you know they're crying and they tear up and they cover their mouth and they're legitimately speechless because you're experiencing this color that you don't understand for the first time and like it just invokes so much emotion that it's easy for me to understand when they're like, oh, yeah, we communicate with colors and, and feelings. Like, oh, yeah, I, I know exactly what that could mean. Because when I'm in that mental place, like, those colors are overwhelming, and I feel euphoric, and I feel awestruck. Because I'm like, oh, my God. what? And here's the funny part. I don't know what colors are supposed to be. <laughs> I just know they're colors that I, don't, I haven't seen before. So, yeah, and, go. And how do you explain to somebody what color is? Well, I mean, how do you explain it? I can tell you grass is green, but... I don't know what your green is. And, and just like Preston and Yeah, exactly. Know. We don't know what, you know, what I see is green. Maybe that's not really what green's supposed to look like, but that's mm -hmm. what green looks like to me. Yep. So, you know, and we can't, you know, you, you explain colors by the colors. So if you can't explain, well, it's, how do you explain a color? Again, mm -hmm. uh, it would make sense if they were talking like that. How would you turn that into words? Right. Um. So, anywhere. Speaking of green, why did you bring up green instead of any other color? <laughs> it's a synchronicity. Right? God, run. So then we kind of get into the bridges and borders of talking about how a lot of these phenomenon usually are around rivers and uh -huh. borders between areas, and like Ashland, Kentucky is a border state. Uh, Point Pleasant is along a river. Uh -huh. You know, uh, all these things. Henderson, where I'm from, right on the border. It's on the border of Indiana and river runs between it um over a bridge i mean it's just more synchronicity episode four was called your green man your green man <clears throat> and this is where they get into the amy email so the night of hellier which we talked about they mm -hmm. got an email and when they start reading this email it was urgent life or death and this woman named amy talk starts talking about she had been staying staying out with in a camper with a guy she was seeing and they were in a camper out on a lake, and she heard a woman screaming. 
And when she went to go investigate, she said she found all kinds of weird shit in these caves, supposedly, that led back to governments, uh, extreme, uh, like, occult cannibals, um, child sacrifices, little green man, uh, that it was under everybody's noses. And the way way she was describing it, when they have the video of Greg reading the email, and I didn't notice it the first time, but the second time, he was terrified mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he was shaking dude he was shaking you don't fake shaking like that that was nervous shaking and the fact was that those coordinates that they had been trying to exp- uh, explore in brown county they were sending tyler out there the next day to go investigate oh yeah dude and then he and he's going out there and she she used the words like euphonauts and that's what's weird is because hellier hadn't been hadn't been released yet. She sent that email before it was released. So either this was the drum up, somebody that knew something, but I don't know, man. I, at first I took, I was like, oh, she sounds kind of crazy. But when you start learning about Somerset, she didn't sound as crazy because people there in Somerset had seen shit that kind of fell around the same way that she talked about. And again, by watching this a second time, it made more sense because the first time, you see it, you're like, oh, your email sounds crazy. And then they later on go like three episodes deep, they go into Somerset, and you're like, you done forgot everything that happened in an email, <laughs> really. So Right, right. And so she talked about uh she talked about slough, which is a word that they had found on the original coordinates. Uh-huh. Which uh again, uh-huh. they said that stood for they think it stood for short little u- short little ugly fuckers, and it was a derogatory term, uh about about uh, Viet Cong and because Terry Rist was a tunnel rat in Vietnam, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and don't but, they allude to the fact that that is not necessarily a derogatory term just towards you know foreigners, right. but also towards the potential that they were seeing these creatures, right? And that's what really made sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. That's what really gave me some chills. Is you know, Preston, you talked about your dad, and you talked about the uh, the rock monkeys. Yeah, and Dad was a tunnel rat, um, oh, so he was he was one of those. And I forgot to ask him about that because he would say, "Okay, so he was a lieutenant, and you know they would go and they would bomb uh, these areas where there was you know suspected cave tunnels, and they would have to send a soldier in." And Dad's deal was like the corners are so tight, and you know he's six two, and he was like one hundred and seventy pounds. Like he's not an ideal person. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to have to send another one of his soldiers in and you know possibly die and be the result of that. So he always took the job himself. And so he was like, yeah, I spent like one whole year just every time they'd bomb a tunnel. Like I was in there with my 45 and a flashlight. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I need to ask him if he ever uh, – because that's one of the ones he doesn't give me a lot of detail on. Like everything else, like he'll break down and just start detail after detail. But he never really talks about in detail like what he experienced. Because honestly, in those he tunnels. may have seen something down there he doesn't want to talk about because mm-hmm. it, yeah. it doesn't make sense to him. Right. I mean, you're already in a high alert situation. You're being, you know, any any movement you make, every step forward is a potential for a bomb, um, a landmine, a, a trip wire, a, a trap door. So all that high alert, and then you see something not from any textbook. You know, it's from the sci-fi movies and the funny papers. Like, your brain maybe shuts that off, and you just think, nope, 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 nope. You just pull the fucking trigger. (laughs) That's what you do. That's what Dad said. He's like, you go around the corner, you don't ask questions, you pull the fucking trigger. Well, I wanted to get to the... uh, I, I, I didn't even think about this. 
But I always told you guys about the dream, right? About where I woke up with the thing holding the knife. Yeah, I mean, chest. quickly give us the spark notes on that real quick, because I'm sure there's new listeners so, who haven't gone back that so far. Basically, I was living alone at the time, and I woke up in like a kind of a paralyzed state. And again, you know, people will say, well, that's, you know, sleep paralysis, blah, blah, blah. But there was this thing on my chest looking at me, and it had a large knife, and it was in like some kind of overcoat, and it couldn't really see its face. And it climbed off of me, backed up to my closet door, and just like pulled reality like a zip, like a zipper of a, of a, a tent around itself. And as it did, it like disappeared. It was just like mm-hmm. it just pulled a flap up of reality, and it was gone. And then when I woke up, I had a deep, well, not a deep cut, but I had a cut right down the middle of my chest. Where like somebody like if somebody had taken just a dip of a blade and just slay slowly down my chest, yeah, just enough to draw a little bit of blood. Yeah, like a and scratch. I was like, yeah, like a scratch. But I don't have fingernails. I chew my fingernails off. So mm-hmm. whatever done this, I don't know. I don't know what done it. But it was very odd. But as I was listening to this, what does that describe? It was a short little ugly fucker. <laughs> and I was you like, sure got holy shit. I got slough. I got slough. He sloughed me. Um, but uh, yeah. So, uh, she told them she was contacted by a man named Doug, mm-hmm. and uh, that uh, that and they don't like it's somebody that you know, and you know Doug by the warning. And so they're like, "Is he Terry?" But later on, when they talk to her, she does bring up Doug again, and he asks, "Well, who's Doug?" She goes, "He's a man I met, and he was an older man," and so. That makes me think it was Terry going right. by somebody named Doug now, which another coincidence, Doug is my dad's name. Right, so just, right. just a weird, yeah. So, um, so she talked about seeing faces in the trees. And so, you know, all this is going on. Tyler's at the coordinate and he's, as he's getting near the coordinates, he finds a silver mylar balloon mm-hmm. just watered up in the tra- in the ground, not in the trash near a, a broke down tree. Right. And he takes the balloon and it's just a happy birthday balloon. And, you know, nope, you know, he just takes it. He doesn't know why he takes it. Um, and as he's looking around there, he can't find anything. He's like, he's led to these coordinates. There's nothing there. And immediately a, a helicopter flies over, which to me seems way more dramatic because he's like, Oh my God, they know I'm here. I'm like, because a helicopter just doesn't fly anywhere until it's, you know, it's somebody <laughs> in the woods. Yeah. That's one of the one few moments where I kind of like groaned, like, all right, like I see this shit too. And I'm out, you know, walking my dog, but go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, so he, uh, so anyway, he leaves the area and he, he has he accidentally closed out his phone, so he had the compass that closed out, so he couldn't bring it up because there was no signal out right, there. Right, right. Because he had closed it, and so it's probably got ads and stuff like that. Never take an ad compass into your woods. If you need a compass, make sure you have a real compass yeah. or something. And or so pay for the ad-free version. So he climbs up on a hill, and he looks down, and he sees a house and a trail that he can get to. So he starts walking down his trail, and he comes onto this white house that's near the coordinates. And he goes and knocks on the door. And this old elderly woman comes to the door and says, you know, can I help you? And he says, I had to just lay it all on the line. He said, I was looking at these coordinates. Was there anything weird going on out there? Did anybody, uh, was anybody out there doing anything? Was there anything out there before? And she's like, no, I don't know what's going on. 
And so he just walks back to his car. And as he turns around to leave on the tree is a carved face. Mm-hmm. And he turns around, looks at the woman. He's like, is that a green man? And she goes, no, that's just an old man. Yeah. And, and he leaves. Which, and he what a weird car. thing to say. Is that a green? That's just an old man. Is that like a tell or is that like a, uh, kind of a, a cheeky thing to say, you know, like, Oh no, no, that's just, you know, throwing him off the scent yeah. kind of a situation. So anyway, he walks back to the car and, you know, he gets in the car and he drives to a church parking lot to call Greg yeah. and tell them what's going on. And while he's on the phone with Greg, a police officer pulls up and knocks on his window and he's like, can I ask you what you're doing here? And he's like, he's just like, yeah, I just came here and stopped. I was passing through getting ready to leave. And, uh, I was just getting things ready to go. And he says, well, can I see your license registration? And, you know, the man checks it. He says, takes him a long time to do it. He's on the phone with Greg, like, please stay on the line. This yeah, is scary. I'm yeah. freaked out here. And, you know, the cop comes back. Well, everything checks out. He says, you said you're leaving North Carolina, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm leaving North Carolina. He's like, good, because we don't like people coming around here asking questions. And right. you should you should have a good day. And he says as he starts to drive out, he realizes it just wasn't one sheriff. He said there was a whole squadron of cars yep. there. And they followed him for a long time after he left after he left the town. So well, I don't know, is this being truthful? I mean the parts about him talking were supposedly, you know, verified by Greg mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. he was on the phone with some of this being said. So yeah. And what a weird thing, like you only stop at one little podunk house and ask one question. And all of a sudden, like they have the entire police force, you know, coming through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it leads you to believe like, okay, is that a green man? No, that's an old man. Like, if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You stupid mm-hmm. little boy, you know, and a quick phone call. Cause God knows what, you know, that whole town could be a bunch of cultists, you know, for lack of better uh, words. So then we get into episode five where they talk about the unknown country, which is the name of uh, the episode, The Unknown Country, which again is a Whitley Strieber reference because mm-hmm. that was the name of his podcast. Um, and they talk about, and they tell the story about this man who was sent down into the caves in, in Kentucky uh, and found a stranger, which sounds like he was described as a more of a wizard who led them to a pale man with, you know, hairless man and took him to a place where he met some uh, people called uh, the, uh, it was called the Endorphia, which is Aphrodite spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. And he believes he met, or uh, uh, what is his name? Damn it, Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. Um, it just tells these stories, but it's, you know, it's an interesting story. I'm not going to get too deep into that because we're already running kind of long for this. No, you're fine, man. Uh, Don't worry about it. We can do an extra uh, long one. But, so they, so Greg and Tyler go to, uh, they actually go to Somerset before everybody else goes. And they, Dana is not very thrilled with them going. Right. Um, that's Greg's wife. Um, and of course they find a cave and they go down in the cave and this cave is just littered with bones. Um, uh, and, uh, they talk about the Amy emails where she talked about gatekeepers uh-huh. where, Gatekeepers, they carry wands, they dress in green, uh, and that she, they one of them that she was exploring the caves paralyzed her with a wand. Um, weird stuff, which, you know, she doesn't explain how she got out of that situation. She just explains how she got in it. Yeah, and, you know, real um, quick, that reminds me a lot of the Loveland Frogmen. 
because remember they discussed how those frogmen off the side of the highway, I want to say they, they definitely had a wand-like, you know, device. And I don't know if I'm reaching here or if I remember them saying, you know, they saw some of them wearing like robes. I don't remember if that's something I'm just trying to. I don't to. know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. With well, the Loveland Frogmen, that is definitely a case where they saw these frog-like humanoids and one of them had a wand in its hand. Hmm. Yeah, it was a, a long, like, wand-like apparatus that they would use as a weapon, like it would shoot mm-hmm. shit out of it. And um, they're, they're, they were described as wearing, like, a costume that made somebody think of, like, a diving suit, but it was, like, green, like, in mm-hmm. a green color. And that's why they called them the Frogmen. Like, they were, they were in this weird get-up. And they really couldn't tell, like, was it a creature? Was it just a human dressed up? But, like, they were really, really? weird because they... Yeah, um, almost like uh, when you when we were, when we talked about it on the episode and you were describing it, um, it, it made me think of the mole people from Fallout seventy six. Oh. Like you know, it's something that's like humanoid, but it just has like these weird apparatus over their face to help them breathe. And then you know, now oh. they're like waving a fucking stick yeah. in the air. Because I mean, to so. me, that that folklore has always just been no. It is a like a ninja turtle, like Napoleon Bonafrog. It is just a frog on on its hind legs. I'd never heard the twist that maybe it could have been something wearing just a suit and misconstrued as a, you know, a reptile. So that's even fucking creepier. So when they're in the caves, though, um, they keep, they kind of go a little deeper in the caves and, you know, Greg's kind of getting freaked out. Tyler's just like, oh, I'm going to go all in. You know? And, uh, yeah, just, let's just say real quick, Tyler, that's my crazy. spirit. That's my spirit animal. Uh, I think that dude's crazy. But, uh, anyway, as they're one part of this cave, they're like, do you hear that? They could hear voices deeper in the cave. And Tyler wanted to go down there. Yeah. And Greg's like, dude, those voices could be right around the corner or they could be miles underground. We don't know. Right. So they didn't go deeper in the cave, which is probably smart. Um, because then they find out, you know, again, they start talking about the 37th parallel. And then they find out that Amy is actually now in jail. Right. For breaking and entering. And because the last time they had spoken with her, she said she was going to try to go back and take pictures. And apparently she got arrested for breaking and entering. So I don't know if the area she went into to get the pictures was what got her arrested. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm starting to think maybe it was. I mean, so, that's that's what I gathered from it. I think she kind of alludes to it like she kind of started disrupting the natural balance of whatever secret society is pulling strings, you know, mm-hmm. with this, like she stumbled upon something. And I mean, we all have seen enough mafia movies and enough movies about rich, powerful families that... If you piss somebody off and that's the right somebody, they've got money and they can just bury you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that yeah. part to me really like hit me with some real adrenaline. Like, oh, fuck, if this is real, like, doesn't that just suck? Just to be, you know, a, a middle American, all of a sudden, boom, you're in prison. Well, yeah, because you find out later on when they talk to her in prison, she was a third grade school teacher. Yeah. And at first when they got the emails, they're like, well, this woman's not as intelligent as the David Christie email that started all this. But, you know, again, she was typing it out very quickly on a phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. you're going to have more misspellings like that. And she's trying to, I think she was trying to get so much information. Because when they actually talk to her, she definitely sounds more intelligent than... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty well spoken. Yeah. And, you know, she yeah. obviously is is not as stupid as some, you know, backwoods hillbilly or something like that, for sure. But, uh, you know... So anyway, episode six is called The Altar. And they go back to Hellier. They feel like that's the time for them to go back to Hellier because um, they wanted to do another Estes method down there in the in the Tin Can Cave. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
they found out the reason why they couldn't find that. They originally in the season one, they went to the first time they went to Hellier, they thought they found the house that matched the David Christie email. Right. And right. when they went back later, they couldn't find it. And so uh Connor's sister had actually found the house or they had found the house in the video and using satellite data because they drove past it the first time, you know, he's like, oh, I found out where the house was. So he's able to pinpoint the address. Mm-hmm. So when they go out there to the house to try to find it, it's burned down. And so that's what they're like, oh, well, that's why we couldn't find it the second time. Now, granted, they don't know if this is the house or not, but it's a very weird coincidence that, you know, the house that this house described, that, that this man described living in fit perfectly, whether he made it up or not, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's it fit perfectly and had disappeared, you know, had burned down. That's why they couldn't <clears throat> find it. Right. Um, but so they go back to the cave. They they spend time trying to find that tin can because they're like, well, that's weird. When none of us told, figured out, thought to pick up the can and take it with us because in the Estes method, he had seen a tin can in his mind and that was the tin can they found in the cave. So it's almost like, hey, we're planning future memories to you here so that you feel like this is a significant place later because mm-hmm, they keep going back mm-hmm. to this place. So they go here and Dana does the Estes method. So she puts the helmet on and they start talking about uh, sounds and there oh. needs to be three of them. Uh-huh. There needs to be three of them. And they're like, well, there's three of us here now. But what they were, what the voice was actually talking to her about was saying, bing, 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 or ding, ding uh, bing, bing, bing. And he says, use the, uh, use the sounds. And then when they, they said, use the sounds, bing, bing, bing. And they did that. They said, you got it. You know, she, she was, every time that they would do yeah. bing, 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 they were, they were doing the, they were like, you got it. You got it, man. You know, and that's what the Estes method was telling her. Um, use the toad in the space, bing, bing, bing. You did it very good. Make something. Um, and they asked her, what is this? What do the tones do? And they said, a doors, a door opens when you play the tones. You, and then they go, bing, bing, bing. And they're like, you got a handle on it. You know, just weird shit. It's almost like beatnik um, talk, uh, beatnik talk. You know. Yeah. Uh, he's calling the dead one. Don't trust Jack or Dale or Doug. <laughs> is what she says. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then they also talk to a a man in this episode who says he know Terry Wrist, and so they go talk to this guy, and he's a, he's an overweight dude, and as they're talking to him, he's like, you know, he says, I took. I, I, you know, I, I met this man through gun shows and stuff like that. Cause this is definitely a redneck dude. Right. Yeah. And he talks, he says, he said, I met Terry wrist. He was a tunnel rat. He was a short man. He was very tiny. He would go into tunnels in Vietnam and he would take a grenade and a 45 and he'd toss the, he would shoot the gun a couple of times to get the attention of the tunnel uh, people in the tunnels. And when they'd rush forward, he'd throw a grenade to blow them up mm-hmm. and blow the tunnels up. And that's what he did. And he said, this man was very, creepy and it's like he said when they talked to him it was like he wanted to figure out how much you knew without giving any information about what he knew right and again this feels very much like the terry wrist that they've been talking to that he wants to see how much they know and he'll give them clues but not much to see where it leads them mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. almost like they're doing some kind of like some some magicians and stuff are saying they're doing some kind of ritual and they think they're doing it for someone and it's almost like terry is leading them do this by sending the emails to a group that might be interested in actually doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. So this man says, you know, he just felt very, he's like, you didn't want to be on this man's bad side. And he said, one of the stories he told was he had this gun, uh, a gun crate in the back of his truck and it was hidden 
that if you he just pulls up this flap and it basically looks like the back of the picket truck, but it's holding all kinds of powerful ass guns and stuff. Yeah. And he said he brought these ketchup bottles out. He put them on this fence and he shot them. And as he shot them, when you shot a ketchup bottle, the top would pop. He said that's how you shoot them uh, Viet Cong's heads off. It's like you'd watch them pop like these ketchup bottle tops. Right. This man was ruthless and didn't give a fuck kind of right he, like he saw some shit and therefore he he kind of earned his uh mm-hmm. you know weirdness so to speak so before we move on does anybody else have anything to bring up no i don't think so because we haven't got to the ritual of pan yet correct that's the very last episode that I didn't rewatch. So, oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, I mean, I, I kind of vaguely remember what happened there. Yeah, because uh, okay, go ahead. Okay, so in episode seven, they call it the trickster. This is where they actually interview Alan Greenfield, and the whole time there's a clock behind Alan Greenfield that has a time flashing. And I watched this to see how long they interviewed him. They interviewed him for about three or four hours, and in fact. They did. They cut a lot of it out. I mean, right. granted, they're not going to put three to four hours in there, but they were talking to him at, at least from like on the clock, okay, from like three until like nine o'clock at night. So I guess it's about six hours. But like the last like couple hours, they kind of cut out, and I think a lot of it had to do with uh, is they told they asked if there's a way to get a hold of Terry. How would you do it? Mm-hmm. And he said, "Well, let me tell you later because there's a code word that you can ask. You know, maybe that would help." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, they went into this thinking that Greenfield was actually just Terry Wrist. But after they talked to him, they're like, no, he's not him. But, you know, he was, uh, again, they get into numerology and numbers. And uh, 93, if you put it in the cipher, it ends up being Hellier is 93. Uh, weird names for the cipher. 93 in, in this religion or this uh, this thing that they were part of. I don't remember what they called it. But, uh they basically said 93 in Crowley's world meant love and will. Mm-hmm. So 93 is a very important number. Number 31 is an important number. He, they wrote a book called Liberal 31, which is, uh, and 31 was written on the coordinates. So again, those numbers keep popping up. 31 has magical significance. Uh, David or Alan Greenfield actually, when they brought up, he said, "Do you did you did did Terry tell you the town that he found Indrid Cold in?" And he said, I believe he did, but I can't remember what it was called. You know, that's been years ago. And he said, if you heard it, do you think you could, um, you would think you would know it? And uh, they brought up Ashland, Kentucky. And he's like, you know what? I think that was it. Yeah. So that even ties back to, he's like, and it wasn't like, oh yeah, yeah, that was definitely, you could almost see it dawning. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think that was it. You Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. you're right. So they had found something that also Terry had found. They just found it. 22 20 some years late you know or 40 years late i guess even um but they think that they're doing a he tells them he thinks that the third order um is basically have sending them out to do initiation rituals and that, that third third order is just is kind of like a, a i don't know what it is but they but he says they're benign um but uh basically but i don't know then he says that they're like they could like to create a crisis mm-hmm. then become the resolution for that crisis, and then the assimilation of the dialection. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but but to me, that doesn't sound benign to me. If they're creating the crisis for them to solve, right? that's almost like every bad sci-fi alien story that you hear about. Oh, Will's caused this... Cri- or Project Blue Book in, in that way, where 
you know, they said they wanted to, or not Project Blue, Project Blue Beam, that they wanted to, to cause peace, they wanted to project aliens in the sky, so that way people would be, like, so scared of aliens that they would all join together. Mm-hmm. Again, you're creating a crisis, but then you have the, oh my god, maybe this is Blue Beam. Holy fuck. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not a far-fetched idea. Uh shit yeah (laughs) well and what's interesting too when they talk about being a benign group if you're a mastermind group you know like a uh like a dollar store uh illuminati you sure you're benign because you're not doing anything but if you're also somehow manipulating groups of people to go out and do these initiations and these rituals you're just getting people to do your dirty work because you know god knows Mm -hmm. what you're trying to summon and then you can easily sit back and be like, well, I wasn't out there in the woods, you know, making a salt circle and burning sage. That wasn't me. I was at, you know, Arby's that night. Or what you're doing is you're causing mass hysteria about something in a localized area like high strangeness, high strangeness oh, yeah. making it feel like it's more than it is. And then by raising those wavelengths, the people, again, a beacon, making a beacon right. where... You're sending out a beacon about these things, and more and more people are getting. Dry. Oh my God, we're part of this! Now I'm telling you, well, we're part okay, of this so fucking ritual. Let's 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 talk real quick. Let's let's skip ahead and talk about this ritual of Pan. Um, the ritual of Pan basically is the idea that they start talking about the Green Man and how the Green Man is like the spirit of the forest, and then it kind of turns into Pan, and Pan himself is supposed to be, you know, the the Lord of the Woods and everything. And they go down to the cave and they kind of do the ritual. They do a dedication. They light the candles and they have the altar. And they're trying to summon forth the spirit of Pan. This is what's really interesting is that we've talked about the Philip experiment before. Where you get a group of people together and they all thought really long and hard in unison about the spirit. And then they basically create a tulpa. And the tulpa, of course, is a thought form. Just you think of a thing hard and deep and for so long, and then supposedly you kind of summon forth a, you know, benign little spirit companion. And the Philip experiment, if you want to lean into that, it it did work. You know, they did start seeing physical manifestations. They started hearing knocks and everything else, and they they supposedly summoned forth a, a ghost of their own device, their own design. So if you sit here and you think about that and you blow that way, way, way out on a much grander scheme, we're all sitting here. We're all watching this. And of course, it's been filmed, so we're not here watching it, you know, being live fed. But what if they do this ritual and they summon forth an idea, a tulpa, if you will, of Pan? Mm -hmm. But just like Ghostbusters, it's not quite strong enough. you got to have more people concentrating on it. So they themselves do a ritual of Pan, summoning forth the spirit or a tulpa of, you know, the god Pan, little fawn with the, the goat feet and stuff. Then we all watch it. And how many people are watching that episode at the same time? Boom, we're all putting forth that energy into, yeah, I want to see it, I want to see it. I, you, know, you didn't give me goblins, so maybe you're going to give me a little fawn, you know, goat boy that's going to come running forward. We're all just feeding into this mass ritual, and we're all just dedicating our thoughts and our beliefs steadily like a beam, like a what, Rob? A beacon towards this one mm-hmm. thing. And all of a sudden now, we're all unwittingly, unknowingly being kind of inducted into this ritual. 
Well, and I know around like around here, there's a lot of uh, my best friend swears he's seen a goat person. Like, oh, hang it, yeah, after Hellier came out, <laughs> no, way before, dude. This is back in the '90s. Okay, he said he, he was talking to me on the phone at the time, and he's like, "Dude, there's a fucking goat man up on my porch." I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, there's a goat man up on my porch, and it's looking in the window, and it took off." Jeez. Now, granted, he made up shit all the time. Sure, sure, sure. So, but that is but a folklore. He still swears that he sees a goat man there out in that area. There are people that believe that the goat man is out there. So mm-hmm. again, you know, but they even talk about so Pan himself is one of the only Greek gods that ever died. Right. Um, and they also talk about at the end of this uh, episode nine when they talk about Pan, how they basically took Pan and combined it. With the de- merged it with the devil, so that the pagans would start worshiping Christ uh-huh, because they exactly. turned ban- they st- they started turning Satan or they started turning Pan into Satan because they took the pictures of Pan dancing, playing his flute while women danced around him, and then they made the devil with women dancing around him and said, "Oh, this is Satan," uh-huh. and they're like, "Well, that's not Satan." But after time, you know, you start telling, "Well, Satan, you know, does this." Well, that's not Pan. That's Satan. Satan's bad, and so then yeah. you got people. Satan's that bad, but Pan's just fine. He's all right. Yeah. So to kind of add to your point about um, you know Pan and the devil and all that, um, our buddy Corey's wife um, was cleaning out this house, and she and I don't know how long ago this was, but she stumbled upon this book. This book was written in 1964, and it's called The Science of Folklore, a classic introduction into the origins, forms, and characteristics of folklore by Alexander H. Crap or Crape, K-R-A-P-P-E. And so he gave it to me la- a couple weekends ago when he stopped in to stay, you know, hang out with us for a while. <laughs> He's like, hey, you know, Amanda found this. I know. He's like, Amanda found this, you know, a while back when she cleaned out this house. And she's had it for this, you know, quite a while. And she wants to know if you'd have it but because it kind of is, you know, in your wheelhouse. And I thought, hell yeah, I'll take it. And I stuck it on my little bookshelf here. And then tonight I thought, you know what, I should pull out this book real quick just to see what it has to say about Pam. Mm-hmm. And because uh, you know, being a book that old is going to be probably heavily um, biblical. It's going to have a lot more God in it, even though it is a book of science, because that right. was you know the time. And so it had an interesting paragraph in it that calls out that basically Pan and the devil are just the same guy, uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of intertwines into what you were saying. You know, Pan is a fawn, so he has the lower half uh, body of a goat. And that's the telltale, you know, description of Satan or the devil or Lucifer or whatever you choose to call him. He did have, you know, uh, what do you call that? Cloven hooves for feet and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it goes into saying how basically like, no, we took the devil and just gave him a fresh paint job and called him Pan Mm -hmm. and got everyone to worship Pan. And I mean, really all that is, is just the reversal of what you just said in a way. And so it said, of course, you know, Pan is not to be trusted because it is basically a reincarnation of the devil himself, often said to be a trickster spirit, and often said to be leading people in different directions. And it kind of goes hand in hand with the green man, because Pan is the you know the lord of the wooded areas and the earth and stuff like that, not the earth and planet, but you know the ground, nature and stuff like that. So I mean, it, it's pretty cool how in Hellier you get the ideas and the concept of the green man. And then they bring up Pan well, as well. Here's something else that's kind of a unique synchronicity. What's my last name? <laughs> it's Pan, everybody. No, it's it's Woods. Uh, Woods. So I always say Woods. Wood. It's Wood. Wood. Yeah. yeah, sorry. 
That is pretty yeah. interesting, man. Well, and furthermore, I know we've talked about this. We had a song written by by Isaac in that book, Thieves in the Night. It says, any wild areas, particularly forests, were considered to be the fairy's domain. The etymology of the word panic clearly demonstrates this association. The term originates from the Greek panikon, literally pertaining to Pan, the god of the woods, the fields, and the forests, who was a source of mysterious sounds that caused contagious, groundless fear in herds and crowds of people or in people in lonely spots. The Greek mythology represents Pan as a a satyr or a fawn, a depiction often used in various fae folk and, of course, adapted into Christian depictions of Satan. And if we talk about your god helmet and your bing, 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 all your noises and shit like that, and you look at Pan being, you know, a source... uh, oftentimes a trickster causing mass chaos and mass panic through sound. It's all just really interesting to see it's all just fucking tied together in this one big knot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and to go back to a couple other things, is, you know, we kind of skipped ahead to the, almost the ending there. Uh, two, mo- two more important things that need to be brought up is they came up with an experiment to get abducted by aliens. That was the whole reason why they were out in Brown County. Whoa, boy, yeah. Yeah. And so basically I used the hypnotist to try to invoke a alien abduction to somebody that didn't believe in aliens to begin with. Right. And you and we have to and, make a note, this isn't directly involved in the experiments they did for um for Hellier. This was actually done several years prior. Mm-hmm. And here's what's funny. I just wanted to go ahead, sorry. You go ahead. I was gonna say, here's a fun little synchronicity or, you know, con- coincidence if you want to call it that. Years ago in 2017, um, there's a really great podcast hosted by Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser called Bizarre States. On their March 16th, 2017 episode, The Traveling Museum with Greg Newkirk and Dana Matthews, this all happened back before they were married, which you're about to talk about, uh, Rob. Mm-hmm. But it says Jessica and Bowser are joined by Greg Newkirk and Dana Matthews of Weird HQ. They go into this episode and they start discussing, you know, like just what the haunted or what the paranormal museum does, what they do, stuff like that. And then he briefly flirts with the audience about, well, we, you know, we did this experiment to get somebody abducted by aliens. And they're like, oh, my God, did it work? And he's like, yeah, but, you know, we can't really talk about that right now because it's kind of an ongoing deal. We're not ready to kind of really go into it. So for well over two years now, I've been just itching to find out more about this. And I've never researched on the internet. I just kind of put it in the back burner, in the back of my head, and bookmarked that episode. And then they bring it up. These fuckers bring it up on Hell Your Season 2. And I just got that instant, like, goosebumps and cold chills and cold sweats like oh shit like i'm about to finally get the answer to this question so that was a really fun personal little uh synchronicity for me you know it's always been like that one little forbidden fruit i've never quite got to get the answer to and then right in my lap here it is here's what happened Mm -hmm. right so basically they had a hypnotist come in and they took a guy that was a friend of greg's who wasn't supposed to be the guy they were talking to but they wanted to use this method to try to get him abducted by aliens, so to speak. And so they didn't lead him. They just said, "Okay, you're standing out in a you're standing out on the side of the road. Uh, what do you see? You know?" He said, "Do you see any lights?" He goes, "Yes." He goes, well, "How many lights are there?" There's four lights. You know. He starts going deeper and deeper, and it's like, and as he's going on, you can see that this this guy's getting scared. Oh he's yeah, like, there's there's raw I'm, I, 
panic. And he's like, he, he's like with a group of people, he says, and we're all standing there. And all of a sudden they're like, we're, we're, we got to go in this light. And he's like, but I don't want to go in the light, but everybody's going in the light and I don't want to go. And I feel like I should say something. And I keep telling people we shouldn't do it, but I just keep walking forward. And then we're in this hallway and they're like, okay, what do you see in this hallway? And he's like, he's like, I don't, I, I just see the hallway. I see people waiting here, blah, blah, blah. It's a bright light. It hurts my eyes. And he says, and then suddenly afterwards, I'm standing outside with a group of people. He's all right. He's like, um, he's like, well, look around. Is everybody there? And he's like, no, there's a girl missing. Does anybody else see that the girl's missing? No. Okay. Well, I feel like there's this wall there. Do you see this wall? He's like, yeah, I see the wall. He says, now you're trying to avoid what's behind this wall. And he's like, so you should probably take a peek around that wall. He goes, I don't know if I want to. I'm afraid. And he's like, well, he says, well, I'd be safe. He says, yeah, you're safe. You can take a peek behind that wall. And he says, okay. I says, all right, I'll take a peek behind the wall. Oh, and he's like, I'm back in that hallway again. And, and like, I'm looking around and I, I see walls, thin walls, and I can see shadows walking around and there's people on tables. And he's like, well, do, do you see them? He's like, oh, I see shadows. He says, but occasionally... I see something small kind of scurry around. They're very quick. Mm-hmm. And and he's like, when he comes back, you know, this man has ever since then, it's almost an unethical experiment at the time. Oh, it was. Your, I think, don't they ask one hypnotist yeah. and he says, they, no, he won't do it. And even the guy that does it even says, this is almost borderline immoral for me to do. Well, they kind of talk about, they said it's very, even Alan Greenfield tells him, well, to me, that sounds like a very unethical experiment. And we're like, we know. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, but you know, years later, that dude didn't believe in aliens. Now, not only does he believe in him, he has a fear that he's going to get abducted. Yeah. Now, was he actually abducted? Was he maybe abducted before and screen memories kept him from, you know, we don't know. Right. But he, he was generally terrified. After, even when they mm-hmm. brought it up, you could tell he. Wasn't oh yeah, like, he had PTSD from it because even in that in that follow up interview, he's very like, "Hey, what's going on?" Kind of happy to see his buddy, and they bring it up, and he's very standoffish and very reluctant to talk about it. And I I want to say if they didn't say it in Hellier, I read about it. They had to spend a little bit of time actually kind of helping him through more mm-hmm. hypnosis to kind of deprogram and begin mm-hmm. to get past it. And so I read up on this experiment. Um, before we recorded and they talk about, you know, all the way back in like 2014, they talk about this. And I want to say he gave kind of a presentation about that experiment in either 14 or 15, but the, I think it was in 2012 was when the first, when the experiment happened. Okay. You might be right. You might be right. And he kind of gave a a presentation about this at some kind of paranormal convention or symposium, but he goes and he says the creatures that uh, Jason saw he describes them as almost like boneless cephalopods. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and then That's he goes right. on to talk about down. how while he was there and he witnessed people being, you know, experimented on and he noticed, you know, jars or containers of, you know, human body fluids, various body fluids being left behind as they're all leaving. He mentioned that during his personal experience, he was almost like tortured or terrorized by like an octopoid type creature that had like tentacles almost like a weird like octopus creature was mm-hmm. harassing him too and i mean <sighs> yeah he said in the video he said in the video he's like i'm scared they're coming for me next yeah and that's when they ended the experiment Christ. that's what it was and what's interesting too i'd love to get my hands on one of these um they had a press kit and i'm really i'm really remiss that i didn't follow 
I didn't have any kind of like notifications for when Greg tweeted. They were giving out press kits this year, and they were really cool, like a little uh, retro cassette tape, and then it had a hidden mm-hmm. USB drive. And I guess on that, uh, either on that or on a, a very limited release he's going to be releasing to the public, you can get that full uh, audio from that entire experiment. Mm-hmm. And I'm just chomping at the bit to get a hold of that man. I'd love to get one, so I've got a I've got a notification set for whenever he tweets, so I can finally see like, oh, they're on sale, boom! Because he did say a limited number will be going out uh, on sale for the public to buy. So this is all brought up during the Alan Greenfield uh, interview, and after they leave, uh, after they leave Alan Greenfield, they're driving backwoods of nowhere. They take a back road, and they come to a tree that has fallen over the road Mm -hmm. and so they get out and they're like well this is weird you know the tree fell they go over to where the tree falls laying right there by the tree is a mylar balloon (laughs) i know another daggum mylar balloon and it's a blue star Uh which they bring up Sirius, which is the blue star the dog star um and dude there's so much this thing is so dense i could literally talk for hours about it's the you know i thought when we started this podcast i was worried as i go oh this my notes are bullshit you know i don't know if this is gonna work right but i've literally not stopped talking for an hour (laughs) you were reluctant about an hour and 20 minutes ago about doing it because you didn't realize you'd be leading the conversation and you're doing a fine job as a guy who (laughs) took over hosting your podcast when you left i'd like to say you're doing a fine job rob (laughs) (laughs) um so again, uh, your noises balloon is a star. Balloon usually means a present. Blue star series. So like he says, so they had the two balloons, or they had the. So they brought up the fact that a friend of his on the same day that Tyler had found the balloon, another friend had recorded a video of them out in the field, and sure enough, there's a balloon that's just hopping around in the in the air and comes right to this man. Mm-hmm. And it's another happy birthday balloon. And it was like within days of Tyler finding the yeah, balloon. Yeah, just in the a woods. few days afterward. Yeah. And that's what Alan Greenfield in this interview is like. So you're telling me balloons, happy birthday balloons, balloons equal presents. You were given a gift and you didn't think that was significant at the time. Right. So he tells them all this. And then two hours later, there's a tree across the fucking road and they find another Mylar balloon. <laughs> if that isn't synchronicity. What is, you know, that's Mm -hmm. fucking trickster demons, trickster spirits, whatever, fucking with somebody. Right. Well, and there you go again. Pan. Pan is obviously a uh, mischievous son of a bitch. You know, he's the god of the woods. It'd be nothing for an entity just to, you know, pop a tree out of the roots and then pop a tree from its roots and then just drop it across the road. Yeah. So then they go back. This is where they actually go to Somerset. They want to do some experiments. They want to go investigate Somerset. Um, they, this episode was called the secret Commonwealth, which is again, interesting because Kentucky is not a state. Kentucky's a Commonwealth. So again, they're heading to Somerset, Kentucky. Bless America. (laughs) After reading a book called the secret Commonwealth about Faye and the green man and stuff like that pan. Yeah. They're going to a Commonwealth. Uh, the, the writer of this book, the secret Commonwealth was Robert Kirk. What's yeah. Greg's last name? He's the new Kirk, not the old Kirk. Right. Yeah, I like that little tidbit there. Um, you know, they said uh 
uh, again, this serious and the Orion were Orion belt were supposed to have a, like we're having a war. I don't know if that was that was an astrological thing. I think, mm-hmm. but during this time in the seventies, there were dogs found dead all over Arizona and stuff like that. Yeah, like, almost like cat like mutilated like cattle. Yep. Where yep. there wasn't there were yeah and like I never heard about this. Oh, I read about um, it. The, yeah. Um, you know they said the first appearance of Pan was twenty thousand years ago on a cave wall. Uh. Trickster green men, people wearing green tricksters, appear in Egyptian, Muslim, India, and they all have horns in these depictions. Mm-hmm. And so think about that. Yep, and that's like your jinn and your you know your Middle Eastern and Arabic beliefs too. Mm-hmm. A lot of people attribute uh, your your jinn to being you know same thing. Your your elven fairy fae folk and being tricksters as well. So they think Crowley wanted to Aleister Crowley wanted to harness power to invoke Pan to make a call to the ultra-terrestrials. So he believes that there's not aliens, they're ultra-terrestrials, which means they're just on another parallel universe from ours, and that's how they're coming here. Mm-hmm. That's why we can't find them in other planets, is because they're just basically one step away from us, but a million miles away because it's a parallel universe mm-hmm. kind of deal. Um, so when they go to Somerset, um, they start hearing weird stories about secret cults, and this is stuff that Amy brought up in her emails. Right. Secret cults, they go to this museum that some guy opened there, and he talks about, you know, he starts talking about, hey, there's secret cults here. You know, uh, people say that they found things in the caves, you know, people in robes, you know, weird shit. Like, you're like, this is Somerset, Kentucky. It's the middle of nowhere. And, <laughs> right, you know, and uh, he introduces him to his friend Nate. And his friend Nate uh, basically says that uh, he thinks that, he goes, if you go to Eastern, there's a place in Kentucky where they send all the all the mental patients to. Right. And I, I want to say we send ours there, too, where I'm at. So when we have a mental patient, sometimes they're driven away to Hopkinsville. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But then Hopkinsville may send them off to somewhere else. But, again, there's a Hopkinsville connection with mental patients. But I guess in probably Eastern Kentucky it's different. Hopkinsville is where we send our mental patients to. Um, but... Uh, they said that they found quartz, large amounts of quartz in three places. Sedona, Arizona, where they see lights all the time. Southern Alaska, where they probably don't see very many people at all, so you're not going to see that many lights. And Somerset, Kentucky, which sits on the Royal uh, Plateau. I can't remember what it was called. The Royal... Uh, blah, 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 blah. I need my notes. Um, but I guess it's not that important. But um, uh, But the quartz, basically, they think if you have high electric magnetism hits these quartz that it causes a lot of weird things to happen where you could, people start seeing things that aren't there. Right. There's a lot of magnetism and stuff like that. And if you look at the Van Allen belt from the sky, the Van Allen belt actually tries to dip down to Mm -hmm. Somerset, Kentucky because of the way the, that that's because of that quartz and the electromagnetism and trying to, it's like the quartz and the, are trying to touch mm-hmm. the sky mm-hmm. is trying to touch there. And of course it can't because it's part of the a belt. So very weird. Right. And you know, this guy's telling these stories and he says, they think a lot of times at places like high electromagnetism and stuff like this, they find out that if you look into churches and stuff where churches are built in the past, that's an area where a lot of religious things happen but it's always under high electromagnetism. So they think almost right. that religion may have been caused by high electromagnetism, and that's why people see God and stuff like that in these places well, because sure. of the electromagnetism. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, 
there's just so if you're going to try to have a ritual to do something, Somerset would sound like a good place to do it because you're going to have religious experiments due to the electromagnetism. Mm -hmm. So that's why there may be so many cults running around this place. They may even not be people that live there. Oh, yeah. It could just be a destination, you know, for these people to go. Well, and what's interesting, too, is we all know, you know, Christianity and modern day Christian churches, those beliefs are all just dissected and cherry picked pagan beliefs mixed with new age religion. And I say new age, but you know, in the last several thousand years. So, I mean, what's to say that we haven't had these monuments in these places of these churches over these large court deposits. And before they were Christian churches, they were maybe a um, sacrificial altar or another place of worship to these pagan deities. And we just basically like a Russian doll, put a bigger one around it, call it something else, put a bigger one around it, call it something else. And so we're sitting here thinking about, you know, we're worshiping Jesus. And in reality, we're just performing a mass ceremony in the same place has been, you know, had several mass ceremonies beforehand. So one thing they did hit up on Somerset real quick, real sorry, Preston, uh, that there was a group, there were the two twin girls that lived in an apartment who could tell the future. They said that they had a being come to them and people were coming all over the place to come to them and have their future told, which also sounds a lot like Edgar Casey in Hopkinsville, mm-hmm. which is just two hours down the road from the same place on the Penny Royal uh, plateau as well mm-hmm. under all this magnetism over the mammoth cave structure so it's like there's this history of future telling sages giving accurate predictions of the future in both these locations jeez man go ahead Preston I'm sorry uh, I was gonna say so uh, a week after I finished Hellier season 2 my uh, mother-in-law so to speak had uh, posted on Facebook that she was celebrating the uh, season of the Green Man, <laughs> and the picture the picture that she posted was a ritual of like witches around a tree with a face carved into mm-hmm. it. And um, Jeffrey's brother had told me a story uh, when they were kids um, in their trailer when they lived in Derby that uh, she um, one night was like doing like a ritual in the house. And asked uh, Jeffrey's sister to go get the Bible out of the back room. And when she went back there, the back room got super cold. There was a dark figure standing in the hallway and it started to growl. And like the whole trailer shook. And so Jeffrey's mom got her, her brother and her sister out of the house. And the kids, as they were leaving the trailer park, um, they turned in, in the like the window, like you could see like the curtains of shadow that it actually looked like Satan, like it was a goat oh, figure. Geez. And so Jeffrey's dad, Jeffrey wasn't born yet, but the next day he went back and there was a hole in the kitchen floor and there was like this strong smell of urine everywhere. And so Jeffrey's mom was always convinced that she actually did invoke the the deity of Pan. Her uh, sister thought that uh, she somehow conjured up Satan, and then her dad was like, no, but it's just a fucking raccoon that had broken to the house and pissed everywhere. <laughs> a raccoon <laughs> who somehow found a barrel of steroids and ripped through the bottom of somebody's floorboard. <laughs> right. Yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so the last thing that I really have is they did another Estes method on the porch of this house in, in Hellier. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> And that's the one Tyler did. And they supposedly spoke to the Archangel Michael. Uh, again, he couldn't hear what was being asked. But one of the things he brought up was a medallion. And that he was. And what was funny is Connor had given Tyler a medallion to wear. And it was a St. Michael's medallion. And the 
during the SS method, he kept talking about this medallion, and you know it by my symbol and stuff like that. So there's just, again, there's there's so much that I can't even hit on. If you guys want to know more, I did. I, I maybe spoiled a lot, but you need to actually watch it and see it for yourself. Right, and I, uh, I um, put a uh, disclaimer at the beginning of the episode that, you know, tells that we're going to be spoiling some of this and urging people to definitely make sure they do watch it if they don't want it spoiled. But in case you didn't hear our advice, you should go watch it now because there is so much we didn't even talk about. Yeah. Uh, they call Amy in the prison. She talks about maybe pedophilia rings. under Yeah, pedophile rings. And stuff like that. And again, she's not the only one that's brought that up. Um, and then that idea yeah. that, the, you know, they brought up in episode five or six that that guy that said, like, that particular town in Kentucky has the highest rate of mental yeah, illness, like something yeah. in that. Yeah, something in that town is affecting the people that, like, you know, the mental illness rate is just off yep. the charts. Yep. Yeah, but he said but that was Ashland. They were talking to that cop that said that. But in Somerset, 70 percent of the population or 70 percent of the crazy people in the Institute are from. Somerset in Eastern. That's just crazy. Again, that court could have something to do with it. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, I wanted to bring something up because we didn't really talk about episode 10 because we mentioned it earlier, but that whole ritual of pan thing, what's interesting to me is, you know, Greg mentions it several times about how he came from a very religious background, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was raised along with the church and he. His dad was a pastor? I want to say so. Yeah, I think so. I could be getting that wrong. But yeah, I know he comes from a pretty deeply religious background. And then you have, you know, of course, his wife, Dana. She is a modern day practicing witch. You know, she has many rituals. Hedge witch. Yeah, thank you. Think hedge witch, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so this is what's interesting to me, again, to go back to Pan. Because out of all this, that's the shit that stuck with me the hardest was the idea of the green man and Pan. If you just mentioned it earlier, and I mentioned it earlier, too. If Pan could maybe be the devil himself or, you know, an offspring of the devil, what a really bizarre coincidence that Pan himself represents the devil, i.e. the biggest arch enemy of all Christians, but also Pan himself is one of the highest ranking trickster spirits of, you know, the natural world, i.e. potentially witches. I don't know enough to say definitively. What a strange marriage of both opposite, you know, spectrum well, belief systems to be this one deity. Well, here's the thing. What's what's that quote? What's the biggest trick the devil ever pulled? Making man believe he didn't exist. Right. Exactly. And that just that part just really stuck with me so hard. Like it's the perfect marriage of these two opposing belief systems. Uh it's basically one creature that represents both of them being potentially a very big, you know, nemesis of all that. And I don't know. I read a tweet. This is a really fun, fun synchronicity. And this is the first time I'll definitely say this is a fucking full-blown synchronicity. I don't want to act like, oh, I'm affected by this, you know, being all kooky and shit. But there was a tweet I had read. And let me find it here real quick because this is kind of a long story. So on December 26th, Shayla and I went out to do some shopping. And I had read earlier in the day when Shayla was trying something on in a fitting room, I happened to turn on Twitter. And Greg had said on Twitter, The deeper this all goes, the more I believe that Hellier is meant to initiate the viewers, not just us, 
into believing a new way of approaching slash thinking about paranormal phenomena. The amount of reading viewers are doing speaks to that. I think Hellier is literally changing people. And this girl called Dr. Crazy Cat Lady says, I turned to my husband during the ritual in the cave and said, mute this shit. I don't want to see Pan in this house during the holidays. On a serious side, what's the impact of doing a ritual that will be seen or heard by so many? And so I replied back the next day, what's interesting here is that if you look into the idea of tulpamancy or tulpas, you discover if you get enough people together to think about an idea, a thing, then you could potentially give that thought a life of its own. So we could all be manifesting pan into reality systematically. But what's funny is I, I meant to message this girl back on the 26th. Like I'm out shopping all day. We were out four or five hours and all day in the back of my head, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta tell this girl my response. Cause I didn't respond to her with that until the day after. And I'm like, man, how deep is that? That we all witnessed this ritual and we're all, like I said earlier, tuning in and giving this thought, you know, all of our energy and all of our attention and potentially just pumping more energy into it and possibly bringing it into reality like a tulpa. So all day I'm thinking about this, like I should tweet this girl, but I don't want to just stop and get on my phone, you know, because we're out having a fun day. We finish off our shopping, five hours worth of shopping at the Go Calendar store. And like I've mentioned before, I'm a big nerd. I love... You spent five hours at the Go, Go Calendar store? No, no, no. We store? spent five hours oh. out shopping. And at the end of our five hour shopping spree, okay. we ended up at the Go Calendar store because they had a big sign that says 50% off, you know, because they basically right. are there just for the holiday. And I'm a big collector of toys, especially horror toys. And I love the NECA action figures. And so I noticed they had a big in-cap display of NECA horror figures. And currently my white rabbit is to find a really great Jason Voorhees figure. And so I'm sitting there and I'm going through just piles of Jason Voorhees. I'm not sorry, uh, Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger's and Pennywise the Dancing Clown and all this stuff, and I reach all the way in the very back because there's one toy that's kind of turned sideways, and I can't quite see what it is. And I'm like, thank God, maybe this is that Jason Voorhees. And as I reach to grab it, a box randomly falls over onto my hand. And I'm like, oh, what the fuck's that? I didn't see that before. I pull out this box. It's a fucking Pan action figure from Pan's Labyrinth. And it was everything in me not to throw it, scream, and almost, you know, probably fall over because that's how shooketh I was <laughs> because all day long I'm thinking about pan, 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 pan. I've never seen a NECA uh, pan's labyrinth action figure. didn't even know it was a thing. And for this just to randomly fall out of a whole swarm of Michael Myers and all these other horror things and land on my hand of all things, plenty of room for it to fall over. It landed on top of my damn hand. And then in hindsight, Rob, you asked if I went back and bought it, and I didn't. And I'm like, oh, God, maybe I should have. But if I bought it, am I then just inviting this further into my own house? <laughs> <laughs> but it was just such a truly bizarre happening, you know, for that to happen amongst me just thinking about Pan that whole time. Right. Well, and then I also had the weird synchronicity with all this because I went to a Taco Bell, and they just had this random Mothman <laughs> painting on the wall Just, it, it is funny because you and I have been talking about this episode for a while so this has been on our minds you know for a bit and pretty steadily and then you're just like fuck synchronicity and you send me the picture of this you know super funky psychedelic little spaceman with moth wings and a, and a helmet and antenna and wings on his head it's just <laughs> super weird 
like in a taco and i don't know if that's at every taco bell i mean if you guys have seen this at a taco bell let me know because yeah. i don't i don't know if it's just one of the art you know did they have some funky art that somebody said, "Oh, we'll make these for Taco Bell everywhere," but it looked like it was—it <laughs> was art. It didn't look like it—it it didn't look like something that would be in every Taco Bell. No, Maybe I want to say they again, have, even if it is. Yeah, still odd, okay. right? I—I'm pretty sure they have pretty unique paintings, uh, artwork throughout different ones to kind of maybe at least different regions have different art. I don't know. I haven't been inside a yeah. Taco Bell for five or six years, but. Well, on on all that, does anybody have anything else to really add? To this, besides Preston, the, the thing that's going on in your living room right now that I'd like to finish on? Just that, nope, Rob, just anything that. else? Uh, nope. All right. Well, okay. So, Preston, go ahead and tell us, tell Rob, and tell the listeners what exactly is in your living room right now as we're talking about this. So, as we've been as we've been recording this episode, so you have to think, you know, it's the dead of winter, super cold outside right now here in Kansas, and there's not very many, you know, bugs alive. Um, we've hit on the, you know, the connection um, in Hellier to Mothman and Indrid Cold. Um, there is, in fact, a moth that's just flying around my feet right now <laughs> as we're recording this and we episode. Made, and not only that, we made Preston turn off his heater, so he's pretty cold right now. So. <laughs> that is that is a very fun coincidence for the last hour and a half to have him just be bopping around your living room carpet around your feet. Because, yeah, I have not seen a moth in the last three or four months now in, in the Kansas you know, winter. Granted, it is a little warm outside right now for January, but... Uh, haven't seen too many moths in the last four or five months. Maybe none, to be exact. So it's all around it's us, folks. And I think that's the important part to finish on here. And I think, you know, Greg and Dana have also mentioned this before. If nothing else, if you don't want to believe in any of this, that's great. You know, the three of us have varying levels of skepticism. Stephen has a varying level of skepticism. If nothing else, you should take from this just the idea of opening up you know, your perception and take note of what's going on around you because this kind of stuff does happen more often than you think. We're also consumed with paying our mortgage and relationships and getting to work on time and just being so consumed by your everyday life. Sometimes you forget to kind of look out and see what's going on around you. And you start to realize after watching Hell you're that Oh fuck. What's the matter? I just had I just had a pan pizza tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going back from the do I, home. Do, <laughs> do I finish the episode with <laughs> but yeah just take notice of this after you watch hell you're a lot of people are just really noticing like a lot of similarities and synchronicities and um, coincidences you don't normally notice so just stop for a second kind of look around and notice interesting ties between you know everything going on in your life and the things you watch, the media that you consume, and realize that there is something maybe a little more magical or at least coincidental and interesting in your everyday life that you don't always take notice of. And I think it's, that's the most wonderful part about Hellier, you know, both seasons, is it's making people stop and just kind of open up their eyes a little bit more. Right. All right. Well, anybody got anything else they want to talk about? Any plugs you want? Or should we go ahead and get out of here? I think we've let this episode go long enough. Oh, man. Well, you know, Preston oh, and I have been given a little shorter episode here and there. So I think we're we're kind of making up for that. <laughs> an, hour, an hour and 41 minutes. And we didn't 
spend much time at the very beginning of those conversations. No, there wasn't a lot of dead space in how you doings. So that's awesome. I apologize yeah. if I rambled too much to people uh, on this, but you know, Rob, I, I had to let it go. I bet we could come back and, and talk another hour if we really wanted to, but I think this is good. <laughs> There's so much more to be said, and I really hope people go ahead and watch Hellier. But, you know, most of all, thanks again, dude, for uh, for being on. I We really do miss having you around, and it's always a treat for you to be back on the show, dude. Aw. Yeah. It's not going to happen very often. Yeah. Yep, you've said that three times now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But don't worry, we're still going to pester oh, yeah, you about for it. Sure, so. For sure. Well, there's always Hell Your Season 3 to bring me back. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And oh. I hope that's uh, that's a better chance than not of that happening, I think. so. All right. Well, guys, um, let's go ahead and plug some stuff before we get out of here. Rob, you got anything you want to plug? Um, Come back to me. There's something I wanted to plug. Okay, cool. Well, I'll start things off with Steven's normal uh, plugs. Check us out on Instagram. Oh. Okay, go ahead, Rob. I know what I wanted to plug. So this this came to the forefront. Several years ago, there was a game that came out um, on PC, and I don't remember what it is. You can look it up, but it was a very unique game, and it ties into Hellier and Hopkinsville and the Cave Goblins and everything quite well because it was called Kentucky Route Zero. What? And in the game, you were playing a man that was traveling around and exploring caves by following some mysterious mystical stuff that was going on. And it was an episodic game. And, um, God, I think this is around 2011, even probably maybe even later than that. I'd have to look it up real fast. While you're doing that, I'll look it up and okay. I'll give you guys a date by the end. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really cool about it. It's coming to Xbox in like February or January. Sometime this month or next no month. Sometime shit. soon it's coming really? to Xbox. Yeah. It's not yeah. it's not the game about the Appalachians, is it? Appalachians? I think so. Yeah, we were talking about it just last night. I think Steve or Corey brought it up on Xbox, but Well, guys, check us out on Instagram, PXL Paranormal. That's where you find all the companion guides with all the images we talk about, pictures from the news stories and everything else that goes along with these episodes. Twitter is the same at PXL Paranormal. Check out the Facebook group. Hit us up. We would love to hear your personal experiences, your personal stories, your folklore from childhood. You know, maybe a story that a friend told you happened to them. We want to hear about that. It's the reason we started the show. So email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. And also, I have to mention, we've got a Patreon set up. Right now, there's one tier. Just a couple bucks if you'd like to, uh, you know, support us and show your, your thanks. We definitely thank you guys. I shouldn't say that. And show your support. You're more than welcome to. We definitely thank you guys for supporting us this long. Uh, check out Mark Solo show, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his attack, The Backlog. Preston, what's my favorite sports car podcast? Sports Cars Unleashed. Sounds good. What do you got for us, Preston? Well, as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that's going to make you feel Kentucky lucky, <laughs> then check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order for the succulent scents such as Sweet Tobacco, Bay Rum, Citrus, Dundee Cedar, Classic, Mint, you can't go wrong with Dobbs, so buy some and there put it go. on your face. If he's not going to make us a Bigfoot smell, I hope at least he takes note. Make us a Kentucky Lucky <laughs> smell, would you? A little bourbon, <laughs> a little suede, maybe. 
I don't know. That's just my two cents. Yeah. Word. Maybe some chocolate pudding in there for Rob. <laughs> Rob, do you eat chocolate pudding? I don't know where that came from. I don't know what that came from either. I mean, chocolate pudding. That's a, that that uh, joke that uh, you know uh, Steve always makes about we have to get you back to the the nursing home for pudding time. <laughs> for pudding oh. time. Oh, that was a reach, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, man alive. <laughs> Check out our friends over at gunslingersoap.com. They make some pretty awesome homemade soaps. Check out if you're in the Wichita area, CD Trade Post, Pontian Seneca. Go by, say hi to Leslie and the gang. Check out their new digs. They just moved into a new building across the street. And then also locally here, you, I got to give a shout out. Check out Fast Print, our friends over at Fast Print. Amazing, amazing quality. And I'm going to say it again at least 100 times better than any big box store, you know. Um, Kinko's, Office Max, any of that stuff, man. Support local, shop local, definitely. All right. Uh, the uh, the game came out. The first act came out in January seventh of two thousand and thirteen. Oh, so that's so, not too far almost. from. Yeah, that's not too far ago. And apparently, it's being the fifth and final act. So it hasn't even been completed. Wow. The fun. The final act is coming out. Uh, January twenty eighth this month, and that's the day it's releasing on console. Interesting. So. Kind of synchronicity again. <laughs> sure. And I'm kind of excited about it because I, I remember that being weird. And it says, Kentucky Route Zero is a magical, realist, epi- episodic, point-and-click adventure game created and published by indie developers. Huh. Uh, so he basically, uh, the synopsis was, I, uh, follows a narrative of a truck driver named Conway and the mysterious people he meets as he tries to cross the fictional Route Zero to make a final delivery for an antiques company for which to work. But it ends up in the caves and stuff like that. Huh. So, under Kentucky, so it's just again. You know. Uh, dun dun dun. I like it. I like it a lot. Hell yeah. One of my favorite uh recent musicians that I have been uh following and going to concerts of. Austin Lucas just liked our post, Rob, that you, sir, are gonna be on this episode. <laughs> Know who that is. Oh, you should, buddy. I gotta point this out. I love bots. I don't know if this is a bot or not, but on that actual post about you know you and the Bigfoot, some guys that his name is ain't underscore that's underscore Christian says DM me now. So I replied back, "Why you got ghosts? Bigfoot been keeping you busy? Yeti been raiding your icebox? Got goblins? Palladians in your peanut butter?" You got ghoulies stealing your girlies, poltergeist in your pastry pantry. We'd love to hear about it. Send us a DM. <laughs> and he has not yet replied, so. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, we got it all right? I believe so. Awesome. All right. Well, on behalf of Steven, I'd like to say thanks, Rob, so much for being on the episode. We really appreciate it. And cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. Goodbye, everybody. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the Paranormal Highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and 
the strange.